0: What is going on everyone? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of com. My name is Colton Denning and I am your host and as always I am joined by my buddy and co-host Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, what's up man? It's been a little while since we talked. Not too much has gone on but we got some things to break down today.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a nice little, um, a nice little break from news. I, I've... Uh had plenty of news so to to have a couple days where there's not a ton going on with Ohio State football has been pretty pleasant we do have some questions we got some really good ones um this week y'all came through with some some really solid questions we got some basketball to talk about some finally some positive basketball news to talk about um after Ohio State's 70 to 60 win over Nebraska a couple days ago um so, I think we'll just jump right into that with with the basketball stuff,
0: yeah, it's been a long time since we got to talk about Ohio State winning a basketball game. What was it? so they they beat Nebraska the other day on the twenty sixth of January, and their last win before that was saturday december twenty ninth against high point. So been almost a month since we've talked about an Ohio State basketball win but very nice to see them end that five-game skid. And a lot of the things we talked about, I don't know if we can really say that they were corrected, but even just putting aside the fact that they won, it seemed like a much cleaner game than we've seen them play in a while.
1: Yeah, I I think that that would be fair to to say. There were fewer turnovers, which was a pretty big issue for Ohio State on that five-game skid where they were just throwing the ball away constantly um, Caleb Wesson still had four fouls which I don't, I don't even really know how he got them it didn't feel like he was on the floor all that much um, but it feels like Chris Holtman kind of found a way to combat the whole um, Caleb Wesson constantly not being on the floor because of fouls with the small ball lineups, and I wrote about that after the um, the Purdue game, how Ohio State needs to use small ball lineups to, you know, counter the zone and to space out their offense a little bit more, and that's what they did against Nebraska, and obviously it worked pretty well. I thought that they, they shot pretty well in general. The um, the final stats don't really reflect it with, you know, just 9 of 27 from 3, but um, it was a big game from Luther Muhammad. I thought C.J. Jackson was pretty good. I thought that the team in general played pretty well, and You know, obviously a win is a win, regardless of if they they looked great or not. The defense looked slightly better. They played zone for a significant amount of the game, which was, I I think, a pleasant surprise. I'm not super sure if they're going to do a ton of that for the rest of the year, but it worked while they ran it, and it it certainly helped that Nebraska didn't shoot super well. But um, a win is a win, and they they certainly needed one. I know we mentioned, um, I think, before the Maryland game that Ohio State was in a uh situation where they really had to win two of the next four um and then they lost the first two which wasn't wasn't ideal because now Michigan is up next which is not um not looking great for Ohio State I would say I can't imagine that the Michigan game is going to go super well but they do at least get one which is which is helpful I, I think that they're still not really in a great spot by any means um feeling like a tournament bid is kind of a long shot here but um they they do bounce back and they looked not maybe maybe not like themselves still um not back to that December November form but they looked pretty good they looked like a competent big 10 basketball team which was an improvement
0: yeah heading into this four game stretch of Maryland Purdue Nebraska and Michigan we did talk about them needing to find a way to win two of those games and and they played the Maryland game for really the first I want to say like 32 minutes, 30 32 minutes. It was close and they had times where they couldn't buy a bucket, but they kept it close whenever they got down they fought back and then Maryland ended up being too much. The Purdue game really I think solidified to me that this team struggles just kind of are what they are. This season you brought up Caleb Wesson and you know the the big talk has been the foul trouble and we almost see it right when at the start of every single game where he picks up two quick fouls. And I I think at least for this year, that's just going to be a thing. And that's something him and the coaching staff are going to have to try to work through. And and I don't know if that's something that can be fixed, at least for the duration of this season. But it, it seems to me like we are, what, 19 games into the season. This team kind of is what it is. I think that after this game against Michigan, you have a much more comfortable stretch Of Rutgers Penn State at Indiana and then Illinois before the Michigan State game in East Lansing but I think we we can confidently put away that any illusions we have of this team being a tournament team making a run I think at this point it's just hey let's get through the rest of the season and improve from this disastrous five game stretch and get to the point where you know we start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and then these new highly touted prospects coming in for 2019 working with this group, which I think at this point, this isn't an original thought. I've seen a bunch of people say this, that this group kind of just looks like they're more suited to being high quality role players. And when you add in some stars, hopefully in the 2019 class, then you'll see, you know, that, that transition and then take the next step.
1: Yeah. I I think I agree with that. And, you know it it certainly feels like this is a roster that could really use someone like Alonzo Gaffney or you know e j. Liddell, obviously DJ. Carton, the the five star point guard. it It really does feel like those guys are pretty much perfect fits for what this roster needs. There's really not a wing on this team that I'm super confident in being able to score consistently. I mean, Andre Wesson has actually played pretty well the last couple of games, but, you know, again, consistently is the the issue there. And I just haven't seen that from him. Um, and I, I think those guys, while they might not be, they're, they're certainly not the one and done type. I I don't think that they're going to be immediately like scoring 18 points a game or anything, but getting those contributions, getting those guys in and, you know, presumably only losing, uh, CJ Jackson and Keyshawn Woods after this season is a really big deal. I, I think that, you know, we've been saying this for a while now that, you know, next year is the year for the basketball team and it's it's tough to sit through a season where you know that it's not not necessarily a lost cause but it's more you're trying to develop talent you're trying to teach these guys how to win you're trying to you know just just get through it get through to the next season develop these guys as best you can and um it stinks to watch sometimes but that's you know that's what a re- that's what a rebuilding program has to do. and that's what Ohio State really needed after the um the end of the Fadmata era. They really needed a rebuild. and last year they got a quick start with the you know the talented veterans that were on that roster. And I think this year they can still pull it together and be an above five hundred team. but um this this run of losses has definitely adjusted expectations back to where they probably should have been all year.
0: Yeah, and there's no—I don't think either of us are saying that this is a lost year and the only thing to do is wait till 2019 because, yeah, they still have a lot of winnable games on the schedule. If they can nip up and beat a team like Purdue on that comeback on the road later in the season and, and, and beat a team like Wisconsin to end the season at home, then— you know, you can really start to say, okay, the, the culture is in place. We know what's going on. Then you head into next year with a little bit of steam. And it really puts into perspective what we've seen over the last month, just how important Kata Bates-Diop was to this team last year. And obviously he was great and we knew he was great last season and we knew it would be a huge loss. But man, they they really have struggled to find somebody to just get a shot off, to shoot a three. I don't think Kata was the, the best you know, he wasn't a marksman, but he wasn't afraid to shoot. And when he got hot, he was hot. And that's kind of what they've been missing this year.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I went back and watched um, the, the Michigan State game last year. And I, I really think that you know, for, for how much he was appreciated, and I, I think that he you know won the Big Ten Player of the Year, if I remember correctly, um, I think we almost underrepresented how good Ada was, not just on offense. I mean, the the activity on defense of him and Jay Sean Tate for you know for his his part as well, it was I mean, it was crucial to what made that team so successful, to what made the defense so successful. And um you know, Chris Holtman's defense is very much predicated on movement, it's very much predicated on rotation, and having five guys who are capable of doing that on the floor at all times is tricky. Um, and we've seen this year that, you know, Caleb Wesson for his strengths um one of his faults is that he's not super you know mobile he he's a bigger guy and he just can't move around all that well on defense and that really hurts them in that that defensive style because you've got him switching on to guards you've got him following you know centers who can move really well all around the the court and he's just not capable of keeping up like that and I think that you know there's certainly a place for him on this team obviously he's a very very valuable player to have but figuring out how to use him the right way figuring out that he probably works better in a zone he probably works better in a true man-to-man where he isn't expected to rotate or switch all the time and you know last year we we didn't really see those those um those issues with him because you have Jake Sean Tate, because you have these long wings who are able to step in and help on the inside and keep him from getting into foul trouble. And I think that someone like E. J. Liddell could really bring that that back to this roster. Someone like Alonzo Gaffney, DJ Carton, those guys have the the defense ability defensive ability and the length to to make a difference, um, and to help Caleb out, to help, you know, whoever else is on the court with them out and to, to really get the defense back to where it was last year and hopefully to provide a spark on offense as well. But I, I think that, you know, the, the loss of, of Kada, the loss of Jay Sean Tate, the loss of all those veterans, even Cam Williams and Andrew Dockett were guys who were both really, really important last year. As, as weird as it is to say that Andrew Dockett was an extremely important contributor on a division one basketball team, but they really were. And I think that, you know, while it stinks to have to go through this transitional period, it's necessary for these younger guys to try and learn how to, you know, deal with adversity, how to become leaders. You know, you see you're seeing Luther Muhammad now step up and, and lead the team against Nebraska. You're seeing Jadon Ledee, you're seeing Justin Errands. you're seeing Dwayne Washington playing significant time as, you know, as freshmen. And <clears throat> I think that's really crucial for development and it, you know, it stinks but it's it's necessary and I think they'll be better for it. And even guys like Andre Wasson who are older are are now seeing what it's like to to lead a basketball team and he'll be more ready to go next year as a senior. And I, I think that, you know, Musa Jallo is probably only ever going to be a role player but he could be a very valuable role player because he because of what they've gone through this year. And you know, that's certainly not not a lost year by any means i think that it's it's a necessary year to go through and it's it's a year that will provide a lot of value for ohio state down the road
0: we kind of know what tomorrow's game against michigan is <laughs> yeah. going to go like especially <laughs> on the road but what do you think we can take away from this game what what what's the ideal scenario outside of just hey ohio state gets hot michigan plays poorly and ohio state wins what do you think the ideal scenario is that we can walk out of tomorrow's game and think like, all right, they just played a very good, a national title contending team on the road, and they were able to hold their own at least for a period of time?
1: Um, so this is this is kind of a strange uh, measuring stick, but Michigan just played Indiana, and they crushed them by 23 points. Um, and I think that for this to be a success, I would like to see Ohio State play better than Indiana did. And I, you know, I was I was talking about this. I think I was talking about it offline uh, with somebody, how um, Ohio State and Indiana are always going to be kind of connected now, just because of the way that the 2017 off season went down, and how Ohio State hires an up and coming G5 coach from Indiana, Indiana hires an up and coming G5 coach from Ohio, um, both of whom many expected to end up at. The school that was in their state, and you know you have now Chris Holtman at Ohio State, Archie Miller at Indiana, and I think that their their trajectories seemingly are are pretty different. Indiana is not going in a great direction. It doesn't seem right now. I um I, I know quite a few Indiana fans who are not super happy with Archie Miller. and Ohio State, on the other hand, seems to be trending upwards, even if this year is a struggle. and I think that we can really get a good indicator of where the program is, if they can keep it close against Michigan, if they can keep it within 10 points, if they can score, if they can keep Michigan from scoring a billion points, if they can, you know, you, you see Luther Muhammad step up again and, and slow down Charles Matthews. You see Xavier Simpson not get every shot that he wants. I, I think that just looking competitive, looking like they're playing the same sport, um, <laughs> you know, maybe a maybe a 10-point loss is ideal for me they you know they look like a Big Ten basketball team that can keep up with the best in the conference I, I think that that would really be um, not best case scenario but best thing I can really reasonably expect from this team
0: we actually got a question about that and as it pertains to Archie Miller from Chris shoot I, I think that's how you pronounce it <laughs> name Chris if I'm messing it up I'm sorry Chris this is
1: a great question yeah he says
0: Chris Holtman for Archie Miller straight up who says no uh both of us I think
1: (laughs) most Ohio State I think so
0: and and you know what I I can't claim I haven't watched anything from Indiana this year so that's the correct decision yeah I have no idea how they're going so I, I won't speak on the Archie Miller side of things but I understand A little bit of frustration from people after how last year went and we probably got our hopes up a little bit too high for this season but I think I would feel much different if it felt like the culture wasn't in place and they weren't playing hard because say what we will about this team and some of their flaws I don't think it's anything that's culture-based. I I can't look at them and say, man, Chris Holtman really isn't getting through to these guys. They play stupid basketball. I just think that they are players that don't quite know how to win yet. There really isn't an established star amongst the group. And I think that Chris Holtman's overall vision is still in the right place. And I think that Ohio State basketball is, is going places. And sometimes you have to take a step back to go forward and last year was a huge step forward and this year's a bit of a step back but I I think the overall goal and mission of Ohio State basketball and vision that Holtman has for it is in a great place so I, I would not want anyone else here right now I mean anybody reasonable obviously
1: yeah I I think that that's probably correct um I think Archie Miller is still a viable option at Indiana just to to speak on Indiana a little bit I know that um there are some some folks over at the uh the SB Nation Indiana blog who are not huge fans of Archie Miller which is understandable given where Indiana is right now. Um but I I do think he can still win games there and was still a a solid hire. I think Chris Holtman is just better right now. I think Chris Holtman's a better coach. Um and even with the struggles this year no I I, I would not trade that. Um keeping with the uh the questions, we'll stick with basketball here. Um, this is from Jordan Missamore. Um, hopefully I'm not mispronouncing that. Sorry, Jordan, if I am. Um, so he's got two questions. We'll start with the basketball one. It says uh, how come people forget we had very, very low expectations for basketball this year and overachieved early? We're now seeing what many people thought would happen. Lots of talent coming next year. Um, I think that's something we kind of touched on earlier with how the, uh, the early season wins, specifically the Cincinnati and Creighton wins, stand out as kind of um inflating expectations a little bit about around this team and i think that that is an important thing to remember that you know this was always going to be a rebuilding year um this was never meant to be a team that was going to compete for a big 10 championship or a, a national title or anything like that it was a rebuilding year it's a it's a young team it's a team that's still trying to figure things out as we mentioned and i think that um the main reason people forget that is because that's kind of what winning does to you just as a fan when your team starts winning a lot of games that becomes the thing that you're accustomed to a bit that just becomes the thing that you like (laughs) you know it's good when your team wins and um, it's it's just kind of natural to to start to expect those wins when they win so frequently and then when you go on a, a five-game losing streak, it's it's jarring. You know, it's it's a very different thing that we've never seen under Chris Holtman before, and I think that it was certainly to be expected. But after the start that they had, it's it's understandable why that's a surprising thing to to quite a few fans who, you know, either just forgot what the preseason expectations were, or or had their expectations shifted by such a good start.
0: Yeah, it really started right from the beginning because I remember when we recorded the preview podcast for just the whole season or just right right before everything started and we talked about the Cincinnati game and we were both pretty convinced that they weren't going to win and for the most part they really controlled that game there was one point I think that they were up like 20 and dominating that game and they ended up winning by a a fairly comfortable margin they won by eight but I think that kind of set the ball in motion that like oh shit these guys are just like they were last year, like they're going to be really good. Let's, let's see what happens. And the Creighton win played into that as well. But as the season has gone on, you could even see some of those cracks against a good team like Syracuse. And I think a lot of what happened in that game has been, that's been stuff we've seen throughout the whole season. So I I think that early on in the season kind of shifted the way we thought about them.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I think that You know, like you mentioned that Cincinnati game, we were not we were not expecting to to win that, and they go out and they look really good winning the game. They look really good in the game, and um, I I think that 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 certainly played a role in it. Um, His second question was, "What's the Iowa slash Purdue games this year?" Um, Which, as I think, a a football related question Um, the the one that I have been Talking about a lot, and the ones that I see him mention um, are the the Northwestern and Nebraska games. Those are a little bit um, a little bit concerning <laughs> to me. Those feels like they could be trap games. Um, the other one is the Cincinnati game. Cincinnati's really good. Their defense is really good. Luke Fickle, obviously, still there, still a good coach. Um, I don't think Ohio State loses that game, but I could see it being. Tricky. Um, If I have to choose one, probably Nebraska. I think Nebraska is going to be really, really tough.
0: So I have a different route on this. I I don't think that there is an Iowa slash Purdue game on next year's schedule. And that's not to say that they won't lose. And that's because I I think, and, and we talked about this while it was happening in season and maybe when Meyer left, I think whatever mentality they had that everything got built up, and then to a point where they went on the road against Iowa or Purdue and just got stomped, I think Meyer leaving kind of expunged that. I I don't think that that's going to happen again, because when I hear, what's the Purdue-Iowa game, I think, what game is Ohio State going to play where they just absolutely get their ass kicked? And I just don't see that under Ryan Day. I think that they could go on the roads and lose to a game if you want to say, hey, what game to a team that they're more talented than, will they... Will they lose if you had to pick one? I think it's, yeah, Nebraska. Nebraska is going to be in year two of Scott Frost. That'll probably be a night game. Adrian Martinez is going to be in his second year. They're going to really know that offense. Their defense should be better. So if you phrase it like that, I think that that's the one to watch out for. And even a game at Northwestern who I think can play the type of defense to at least make them work for it. But I think the days of them going in somewhere and, and getting their ass kicked because they've either overlooked a team or they haven't prepared or you know whatever, whatever the things that we have been complaining about for the last couple of seasons, I just think that that stuff's gone. We have to see it, of course, and we'll, we'll see it play out as the season goes on. But I think whatever mentality that they had that led to those type of losses is gone. They're, they're still going to lose a game a year, you know, almost nobody goes undefeated. And what we were saying all year is, hey, if they lose to a team, a team plays better than them a a particular night, even if they're worse or less talented, that's fine. I'm I'm okay. Losses are going to happen. That's okay. But the Iowa game, the Purdue game, where you just flat out get your ass kicked by a team that you shouldn't get your ass kicked by, that's when, that's what I have problems with. And I I think that those days are over, and that mentality that led to that is over.
1: Uh, Our friend Eddie, who frequently asks questions, uh, really good questions, asks uh, which 2018 returning starters will not be starting in 2019 and who will replace them. Also, will Garrett Wilson start Game 1 or Game 0? I'm going to drop this one on you while I uh, serve the depth chart from 2018 because I don't have it off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the roster right now and the most obvious ones were linebacker, I think. Mm. You know, I I can't really just cuz I don't pay attention to like who's weak side, who's strong side. Is is uh P. is the weak side, right? I think so. Whoever else is in that mix is going to be the weak side linebacker and I think that Baron Browning will probably be the starting middle linebacker over uh over Tough Borland. And if if you're looking at one position that's the one. Maybe tight end with uh, Rashard Berry or Luke Farrell. I think that you could see somebody else replace them there if we're moving to more of an offense that's a passing style. I think that that could be... I'm searching for the name. Who, who am I thinking of?
1: Jeremy Ruckert.
0: Jeremy Ruckert, yes. Yeah. Jeremy Ruckert could be a guy, if Ohio State's offense really does take a little bit of a turn, then you want to get him involved. We've seen what he could do. We saw his his recruiting highlights, he is a very talented and gifted pass-catching tight end. And I, I'm not saying that the blocking element's is going to completely go away, but I think the identity is going to change enough to where having a guy like that over Barry or Farrell is going to be beneficial. So those are the two, I guess, the most non-glamorous spots that I'm looking for. And maybe along, I don't know about on the defensive line, but I think tight end and linebacker is where you'll see that the most, and then probably something in the secondary.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with tight end. I think that um, I think Rucker will be the starter game one. Um, linebacker, I have uh, Harrison, Browning, and Toronto Mitchell as the three starters. I'm not sure what, uh, what order they'll have them in, but those are the three that I have. I would really like to see Browning on the outside and Harrison or Mitchell move to the inside, probably Mitchell, um, but I don't. I don't expect that, um, but I, I can't imagine Tough Boylan and Pete Warner continuing to start with a new defensive staff. That just that does not feel super likely. Um, defensive back, I think Damon Arnett doesn't necessarily lose his job, but he moves into the slot, and, um, you know, Sean Wade and Jeffrey Okuda take those outside spots. Um, everything else, I, I could see... Um, maybe Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith. Probably Tyreek Smith. Maybe take Jonathan Cooper's role or at least a, a good chunk of those snaps because Tyreek Smith looked really good at the end of the year. Um, last one. This is this is a super bold prediction, and this actually touches on a question that we got from uh, Editor Alexis who says, uh, with Mike Weber gone, will Demario McCall actually get carries in 2019? Um, and I say yes because I think Demario McCall might take that starting job. I, I think Demario McCall by the end of the year could be so impressive at running back that he is the starting running back over J. K. Dobbins and what that would actually look like I'm not sure. Um, just because they're very different backs and you know, it's a it's a style of running back with Demario McCall where you really can't give him thirty carries a game because that would be an insane thing to do. But I do think Demario McCall could be getting the majority of touches, the majority of playing time on this roster by the end of the year. Because while I like J.K. Dobbins a lot, I think Demario McCall is more talented. I think he's a better athlete. I think he's a better player.
0: Ooh, that that is bold. That is a very (laughs) bold prediction. And you, might love Demario. You know, I love Demario McCall. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that J.K. Dobbins was necessarily used right this season.
1: I think he was above his his weight limit. I think he was too heavy.
0: I think that they played. Yeah, they played him in whatever he was coached to do, whatever they wanted him to do this season. It just never felt right. And we we saw him play strong in bursts. There were games where he played really strong. He ran really hard. But whatever shiftiness he had that we saw in his freshman season, it seemed like that was gone a little bit. And he's going to be more sleek, I I think, in this next iteration of Ohio State's offense. And will we see him get 200 carries? Probably not. He had 230 this year. Wow, I didn't realize it was that much. He had 194 (laughs) as a freshman. And you would think it would have been different. But I think you'll see J.K. Dobbins – play much more like he did as a freshman and I do agree with you that Demario McCall is going to be much more involved in we heard so often in the Meyer era that hey this guy is going to play the Percy Harvin position I don't think that that's going to be the role that McCall boy yeah, I sure hope used. that
1: position is dead
0: yeah so, <laughs> so do I but I, I think <laughs> I think as a as a hybrid that they aren't just going to nuke the total plan of of putting him out wide because he can do that stuff and he's versatile enough. You know, he's obviously not a receiver, but I, I think mixing him in in just different ways than, hey, hand the ball off to him. We're going to see a lot more. Those two back sets we wanted with Dobbins and Mike Weber, I think that that's the stuff we're going to see with demario mccall and jk dobbins and i i think that you'll see mccall play really well and i think that jk dobbins is in line for a monster year because i don't think that they're going to ask him to do the sort of things that they did last year so i think both guys can benefit from dobbins having a little bit lighter of a workload
1: yeah and we we talked about this when he was hired but i think that um mike yurisich is going to be really good for demario mccall because he he really loves those wheel routes and that feels like um the best way to use Demario McCall.
0: I will say too, J.K. Dobbins, underrated as a pass catcher. He's had some nice catches. 26 for 263 this past season, a couple touchdowns. He's made some some nice plays. So that's, I think that's one of my low-key off-season stories I'm looking for is a a slimmer, more sleek J.K. Dobbins.
1: Um, On the Garrett Wilson part of that question, I think he is the number four receiver as soon as he steps on campus. I could see him um maybe not full on taking the the spot that is is generally filled by either Austin Mac or Benjamin Victor but I do think he sees significant playing time from game 1.
0: Yeah, I mean there really isn't much more to say about Garrett Wilson than other just other than just like look at the talent, look at what he's, yeah, he's good. <laughs> able to do and I'm very excited to watch how this receiver competition plays out because we know that Austin Mack and Benjamin, Benjamin Victor are both coming back in it's the last ride for Victor and pretty pretty much Mac too, and hopefully he's he's healed and, and ready to go off of injury, but those guys know what time it is that, hey, if you want to have an NFL career, like, you know, Victor can't really lean back on special teams stuff, and I, I don't think Mac really can either, so they're going to have to show out, and with all those departures, they're going to get the chance to, but I, I think this wide receiver competition, there's so many talented guys, and players we haven't really seen or talked about, Jalen Harris types, that everybody's going to be going after it. And I think that that sort of competition is going to make everybody better. And a guy like Garrett Wilson coming in as a freshman, I don't think that they're going to have any problem that they being Brian Hartline, Ryan Day, Yursich, the rest of the offensive staff, if he's good enough, they are going to play him and they're going to throw the ball to him. I don't think you're going to see just, hey, seniors, juniors, you're starting or you block better, you're starting. I I think that you're going to see a lot of different faces in this offense and Garrett Wilson's going to be one of them.
1: Yeah, and I will say if people are looking for um, a position where there could possibly be some attrition, maybe following spring practice, uh, receiver (laughs) is the place that that would happen. Because uh, there's a lot of talent there, and there's a lot of guys who are entering now, years two or three in the program, and if they're not seeing playing time, you could see those. Yeah, guys. that we
0: haven't even seen. Yeah.
1: um you know, some. I'm not. I'm not gonna go name names, but I think people know generally who that might be. Um, and if Jamison Williams and obviously Garrett Wilson are as good as expected, it could be. Um, it could be not good for some of the older guys, um, just who have been here now a couple years that really aren't. Catching on quite yet. I, I don't think any of the the guys who we've seen a ton of on the field are going to be going anywhere. Um, I know there was a rumor around Benjamin Victor that was never um, never accurate, but but I, I do think that some of the depth guys could be um, headed headed elsewhere if those freshmen are really good.
0: That's what we've been talking about, though, right? Is you know we've what we've seen teams like Alabama and Clemson and other very high highly touted talented guys on those rosters just come in and and make splashes right away and we haven't necessarily seen that with Ohio State and we've wanted that competition all across the board and hey best players get out there regardless of age and I think even if there's attrition that's probably the most healthy thing for a high level football program when everybody knows hey my spot I can get got any any single day it doesn't matter what I did yesterday and I think that that sort of mentality is what you're going to see from the whole receiver group and the team as a whole.
1: Um, we got another fun question here. <laughs> Actually, I had to do some research. Uh, this is from Generic Drift, a science podcast, it looks like. They say, what's your favorite shark? Uh, my answer is hammerhead. Hammerhead sharks are cool as hell.
0: Hammerhead's good. I like, uh, I'm a big fan of the bull shark. It's just your classic, classic big boy. Looked like he could play offensive lineman for Burt. Um, I, I like the bull shark. I'm a big fan. I, mm. I, I need people to tweet us what their favorite type of shark is. And, <laughs> and honestly, those are the type of questions we want. So yeah. hit us up at Holy Land Pod and send us animal questions. That's all I really want to talk about in the off season.
1: Um, I'm not sure we we have any others. Do you have any other that we didn't that we didn't hit? That I'm not seeing.
0: No, when I think about it, it's it's kind of been a quiet off season. We talked about the transfer stuff. There's been rumors floating around about. Other kids, you talked about wide receiver that Ohio State might lose. For me, and I, I say this every offseason, the best thing that can happen is it continues to be like this. Every day that there is not a suspension, an arrest, somebody goes to Sugar Bar is, is a good one. And the, no quieter, one the, the quieter the <laughs> offseason, the better. So I, I like it so far. They've They've officially locked down the full staff. Ryan Day has his first staff. Uh, there's a couple guys there that I know you and I are still like, eh, let, let's change that. But I think they know what they're doing heading into 2019. There's going to be some fresh faces, and we'll see what happens. But the less news, the better in, in this
1: portion of the year. Yeah, Stud while you're up next, bitch. Let's go. <laughs> yes, um, yes last he thing is. I Yeah, last thing I saw that – was Ohio State related? Um, Terry McLaurin killing it at the Senior Bowl practices last week. Uh, good for him. I, I'm not surprised <laughs> to see him, uh, to see him be successful at um at an event like that. I think that he's going to be successful in the NFL and, um, apparently very well liked by uh by NFL scouts. Which again, not surprising. Very very good kid. Very good teammate. Um. Really glad to to see him doing uh, doing really well at the um, you know the start of the next level.
0: Literally every every story like that that goes by when and when I saw the McLaurin stuff, and I, I know I say this all the time, like I ragged on him so hard for like two and a half years. I am just amazed at the type of coaching that he and the rest of those receivers got for the past four or five years. And what Brian Hartline did immediately—he immediately, immediately fixed <laughs> And we were so we were so wrong about Brian Hartline. It was one year, but I, I feel confident in saying at the very least we were wrong on that one. He's a good coach. He relates to those players. He knows what to do. But you know the the fact that McLaurin—he was always a special teams player—and I, I think that there were legitimate concerns and worries about his receiver play. But just watching him toast other NFL prospects on deep routes, I was just like, it really stresses and puts in perspective how important coaching is and just how important it is to have somebody that can teach these guys the fundamentals and how to do things right. And Ohio State was missing that for the better part of the last four seasons, and it makes me think like how did my how is Michael Thomas as good as he is that that's amazing too. how much better would Braxton Miller have been with literally anyone else that <laughs> single year same with Jalen Marshall and some of those other guys and it, I think that it, it it does it doesn't I mean it taints it for for other reasons Zach Smith being around but it, it just really makes you go back and think like man if Urban Meyer had just cut ties and just made the obvious and right choice, like, what could have been for for some of the last four years. And I know that is, like, first world college football problems with the success that Ohio State has had. They they were really missing something. And that it just literally took hiring a, a dude fresh out of the NFL after a couple seasons who was an alum who was just like, Yeah, I want the job. I've never really coached in football before and he's done this with the guys is just incredible.
1: Yeah, and I will say people um Ohio State fans maybe shouldn't take this as a as an indicator that every former player can coach this well. Um I think Brian Hartline is a rare case and Ohio State should not just go hiring um every former player that wants a job because there are plenty and most of them probably can't coach this well. Um but yeah, word up to uh to Brian Hartline and Terry McLaurin, really glad to see him doing well and Glad to see this receivers room, as we talked about during the season, um, getting the coaching that uh, they should have been getting the whole time at Ohio State, and uh, I, I don't imagine Brian Hartline's going to be going anywhere anytime soon, which is is um, very good. It's very good news for Ohio State that they have a uh, a seemingly very good receivers coach.
0: Yeah, they do. do you uh, you have anything else uh, that we were able to squeeze like forty good minutes out of this? Is amazing, given that it's almost February, but. If if you guys have any more questions, feel free to send them our way at Holy Land Pod. We're always down to answer more stuff and hear what you guys have to say. But that that's it for me, man. I, I'm just amazed that we got forty minutes.
1: Yeah. We're we're very, very good at, at squeezing minutes out of very little content. Um I do have a plug. Uh if people are are interested in my content, which I imagine they probably are if they're listening to this podcast, uh, I made a video. I, I made a 17-minute uh, a long, we're calling it a mini-doc, I can call it that, uh, called Dontre Wilson Stages of Revolution. It's about Dontre Wilson and his, uh, his fight with Michigan's special teams unit back in 2013 and the, uh, the punch that he threw. And I talked to uh, DJ Burns, who used to write for 11 Warriors, really good guy, really good writer. I think one of the the best Ohio State writers there is. Uh, And Luke Zimmerman, who used to write for our site, and also very good guy, very good writer. Uh, I talked to them. I put probably about two months of work into this, I think, in in all with writing scripts, doing video, uh, (laughs) redoing video for formatting stuff. Um, I learned Premiere on the fly to, to do this, which was, was not, fun. A, not a great experience, but I'm glad I know how to do it now. And I, I'm pretty happy with how the, uh, the final product came out. My, um, my dad actually made the music for it, which was very, very nice of him. Um, he made some, some really groovy 80s music for it. And uh, I, I think that I'm pretty happy with the final product. And if people want to go check that out, it's on our YouTube page. We have a YouTube page. Um, I think it's just the site name. Um it's also on landgrantholyland.com It's on the, the main front page, so people can find it there as well. And uh I, I think that uh, if you enjoy this podcast, you enjoy my writing, you'll probably enjoy the video.
0: Yeah, it's really good. Be sure to check it out. It is on our YouTube page search Land Grant Holy Land, you can find it there. Dontre Wilson stages a revolution. It's awesome. Uh Dontre Wilson, his his best play as a buckeye. Um <laughs> sorry, I can't I can't help myself. But definitely go check it
1: out. Dontre Wilson, come on the podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, Dontre Wilson always, and other former players uh, always welcome on the podcast. Check that out there. Go read it at com. Continue to listen to this podcast at Holy Land Pod on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you don't have Apple Podcasts, listen through the internet or on your phone soundcloud soundcloud.com slash land holy land and follow patrick and i on twitter he is at patrick underscore mayhorn and i am at Dubsco. that's going to wrap up today's show we'll probably talk to you guys next week hopefully answer some more questions and continue to try to get through this off season together but until then for patrick mayhorn i'm colton denning this has been the hangout in the holy land and go bucks